Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I'm not sure what all you all think of when you when the opportunity comes by for us to prepare and reflect on our lives in light of observing the ordinance of communion. Typically, we tend to think personally. Sometimes we may be made to think about other questions we have or circumstances. But I trust it's a personal look that we're focused on. And I, I guess, again, as I wondered how to prepare for this service this morning. I was sometimes I think probably like all of us in different settings. Uh, there are times when we as ministers cry out to the Lord for to know what to share. And other times perhaps we cry out, Lord help me sort through what to share. <laughs> um, and this, this morning, the message I feel to share is perhaps maybe not a, uh, it doesn't really matter, but you may not consider it a conventional council meeting message. I'm not sure. And one of the reasons that this is, is on my mind, I guess, is probably because of reflecting on life, reflecting on on things we observe and are a part of, experience, hopefully grow from. But I'd like to use as a background for the message this morning, Isaiah chapter 58. While you're turning there, um, I would ask you to think, visualize with me in the days of old, the establishment of a city, a city founded there, built there, protected there by the walls of it, the gates of it. Those walls, those gates were to provide the inhabitants of that city with a sense of peace, a sense of security, a sense of protection, a sense of happiness, of worry-free. And yet, if we were to have the privilege of seeing a, a picture and you can draw the one in your mind better than I could on a on a board of any sort but that city wall with the passing of time be it because of the foundation being eroded or because of attack or because of earthquake or the shifting of the sands of time if you will A place in that wall that would become weak and fall and it would collapse. That wall that was built there with many, many strong arms. Many efforts. And that 
part of the wall that would collapse would fall and and would change its form it would all be there that wall would all be there but it would be there where it had fallen away as a pile of rubble a pile of that which gravity brought down and you could say well Pretty much all the makings to fix that hole in the wall are right there on the pile, aren't they? Maybe a few of the stones, maybe a few of the, the, the makeup of that wall were broken in the fall of it, but you could say that a lot of what it would take to repair that hole were there. Now let me ask you, with that hole in the wall, what impact does that have on those in that city? What changes? If you were in that city and you needed that gate shut and that wall up at night to rest in, in, uh, at peace, safely, and you knew that wall had fallen down, would you sleep as well? What would those inhabitants be feeling with that wall breached? You and I know what the word fear means. And probably in varying measurements, there would be the instilling of that feeling of fear knowing the city was not secure. The city was not secure. Knowing that there were those elements involved that exposed them to something that they were afraid of, that they had reason to fear. This morning as we ponder this, the significance of our service today, Let's go ahead and read. I want to read this chapter. It's 14 verses. And I want to think with you this morning upon the, about the impact of those that are involved, that are called to, those that function as the repairer of the breach. And we want to draw out some, some different points from that. Noted in the King James Bible I have, it has the title or heading at this chapter, A Description of True Religion. In my Spanish Bible, it had true, a true fast. A true, the thought of a sacrifice of, of that being given. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask me the ordinance, ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted? 
say they, and thou seest not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye, find, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou wilt take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. We have quite a variety of vibrant descriptions of perspectives and actions in life, values toward life, and he is calling them to that which he delights in. <clears throat> I won't spend a lot of time on these verses, but I would just notice there in verse 8, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. There we have a description of a fulfilled life under the blessing of God, showing forth his praises. The light of our life is the logos of God. He talks about the contrast in verse 10. The change that comes 
Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. That which it fills us, God's desire to fill us to overflowing, will it be that which illuminates, reveals, blesses. We see that thought carried on in verse 11. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. It's a, a real contrast to, to the picture in the scripture of the dry bones. Lifeless, without flesh, without covering. And yet here, talks about what is involved. You might ask me this morning, why am I consumed about fixing a hole in the wall? But I was challenged as I pondered these verses and thinking about our need to examine ourselves in preparation for the observance of communion that As we see that need, as we understand that, that call to be that which restores, it is a reflection that we have already begun to identify in an ongoing way of our own wretchedness, of our own need, of our own debt we can never pay for the love and mercy of God to us. And as we think of what it takes to be prepared to stand before God and, and having examined ourselves, I had to think of, well, there's two places in the scriptures. One probably would come to mind real quickly to you all as far as looking into the perfect law of liberty in James. But um, in 1 Corinthians 13 there, talks about seeing through a glass darkly. That glass is actually a mirror. But we see it, we struggle sometimes to see clearly the image of how we are before God. And so we, we need to ask him with all due diligence, how do I look? Am I okay? to go forth. You know, sometimes we do that with our wives. I'll say, is my hair okay? Or <laughs> am I okay to go there? Whatever. But you and I, do we take that same approach with God? The one who sees all things. One of the characteristics of the repair of the breach is one that knows what's involved because he's experienced it himself. He's seen the restoration that was needed in his own life and experience. I say he, I'm talking in general terms here. He understands the contrast of charting one's course versus in, a, in an area of service versus truly being a servant of the Lord, committed to servanthood. In Philippians 
there. My brother took us there already this morning, but in Philippians chapter 2, I want to read a number of verses. <clears throat> As we think this morning about our standing before God and what's involved in, in that, we also come to, to be reminded of elements of Jesus' life here. Philippians chapter 2, verses, I want to read verses 2 through 8, but it's verse 7 that is especially in focus here. Beginning in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We'll come back to that, that discussion of love. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What was the passage that was read in the devotional this morning, Brother Craig? There, if you notice that, not too far from that, but if you look there in the last uh, verses that he read, there's something caught my eye there. Just turn to it real quick. We have this verse in verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. We see in the life of Christ that, that voluntary submission to serving to accomplishing the will of the Father. And I want to draw a contrast this morning that we sometimes don't hear said very often, but it's implied that the Christian walk is a walk of slavery. It's almost like it's a drudgery, and my dear ones, no, it's not. If it's a drudgery, we have not yet met our Savior. So compare with me this morning those thoughts of a slave versus a servant. One that knows what it means to be consumed in servanthood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, there's a reference here that that uses a word that is used quite commonly in the New Testament. Paul says here, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. <clears throat> the word ministers there is a word that's used quite a bit to refer to those that are under orders. Sometimes it's used as officers, sometimes it's used as servants, whatever, but the, the word is a, a word that comes from a word that means, or it's a compound word, but it, it comes from a word that was used as under oarsmen. 
those that were serving, those that were bound and pulling an oar on the lower deck of a water vessel. They were there fulfilling their duties. They were there doing a task that, if you reflect on the usage of that word, they had every right to feel a slave. And yet Paul says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ, the uparates. Let them consider those of us who voluntarily, as repairs of the breach, have said, we will serve, we will go, we will do what he has asked us. They under that deck likely were hearing the sound of the drum of one who was directing the movement of the oarsman. The rhythm that they were given, knowing that at some time and some day, they would wear out, they would wear thin. And if they perished, they would be just cast overboard and replaced by somebody else. Paul embraced the call upon his life. <clears throat> to him, he was not a slave. He was not merely involved in service. But he was consumed in servanthood. Servanthood begins quite often when we grasp the teaching of Christ on the second mile. You know, in life we can look and see a lot of illustrations, occurrences that give evidence of the lack of the second mile thought. Maybe it's the hurried, hurried digging through the candy dish to find the kind that the children want, you know. But, you know, big people have candy dishes too. Do we not? We have choices to make, similar. How do I relate? What is in focus? <clears throat> if someone sues us for our coat, what is involved if we give them the cloak also? Is not the cloak of greater value than the coat for which they demanded? I was blessed here recently hearing a personal illustration given by a brother from Central America, and he was telling about that he was married to a second-mile Christian. They have gained their livelihood through a small dairy there through the years, and one day they had eight Jersey replacement heifers. There they were preparing to bring into the dairy production. And one day, a neighbor thought he needed those heifers more than they did, and he stole them. 
And he took him up the mountain a few kilometers, put him back in a pasture where he thought it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But I'm not sure what those cattle thought, but they knew it wasn't home. And before too long, they found a hole in the fence. And they all left. They all went out to the road and they went down the road and they had many opportunities to go to the left or to the right. They went all the way back down those kilometers to that home farm where they were. They went in the lane into the barnyard and about it wasn't long until the man came looking for his heifers on a motorcycle. But those heifers knew they were home and he couldn't get them out of the barnyard. So this brother's wife was there. He wasn't there. But she went out and helped him chase those heifers back out the road so he could take their heifers up to his farm. What made it possible for that to happen? Turn to John 13. The Gospel of John, <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 34. There's two other references that John makes <clears throat> to a new commandment in the epistle John of John, but... Um, Christ here and teaching them. He talks of a new commandment. Little children, verse 33, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me and as I go and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love, if ye have love one to another. Why was this a new commandment that Jesus gave them? What was different? Had anyone else known the love of Jesus before? The love with which he was loving was a new love. The love with which he was giving them commandment was to a different level of love. One that we understand as we peruse through his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, different places. We understand it. As we consider our 
position before God, we understand our need for that love, that great love. That uncomprehensible love. And it helps us to trans, to cross that, or to, how do I want to say it, to make that change, that come to that understanding that we are called not to a life of mere service, but to a life of servanthood. Not to a life of slavery, but to that life with the mind of the second mile. We can talk about being of service, and many times we're helped out by different ones, but in the Christian relationship, just merely accomplishing something does not equate to servanthood. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I'd like to read from verses 5 through verse 8. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Can you imagine how they would function with the mind of Paul being willing to be an under oarsman? How they would appear before their masters as unto Christ. He draws a contrast here in verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good, any, good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. One of the realities of life is that when we, if we fall into the the trap of being men pleasers, doing things for eye service, we will be surely disappointed because we will not receive the commendation we expect in those situations. But he says, but as the servants of God, doing the will of God from the heart. Now going over to Philippians chapter 2. Verses 16. 16 through 18. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Here he's reflecting on that level of servanthood that that he is applying himself in life. Fulfilling the will of God, being that repair of the breach, making known the gospel of Christ to those around him. The bearing of glad tidings, Offering knowledge to those 
that need to be told. Romans chapter 12 refers to a level of service there. It says reasonable, that which is your reasonable service. Um, What is reasonable for you and I this morning? What is involved? Is it easy for us just to think, well, Jesus came and died and shed his blood for us and and we receive it. And we can go about life embracing that promise but not living by its gripping power. Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the Spanish says, which is your culto, culto racional. Your, it's your rational or reasonable worship. Worship. Now trust we are growing in our understanding that we don't just come here to worship. We just don't gather here Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or Wednesday nights to worship. But that it's a continual, ongoing thing as we move about our daily actions. I gave the illustration of a second mile response. When does that second mile begin? Is it after the coat is delivered? Or is it when My heart, your heart, has surrendered to the will of God. I'm not sure how closely you are able to connect in your minds the, the illustration of that which repairs the breach and that which we are called to examine. But when we ponder some of the things that work against the repairing of the breaches in the lives of our lives and those around us, we begin to see that the breach is there because perhaps I'm not prepared because of something in my life that needs to change. If we go forth in life reflecting on unfulfilled dreams of things we had in mind, how will we function in servanthood? Dreams of what? Dreams for who? Perhaps the Apostle Paul would ask us. 
we are all affected by how we perceive and pursue life. Whether it's in the workplace, in the home, in the life of the church, that which is per, perhaps not accepted or uh, received as adequate or not chosen for some duty. And I can ask myself this morning with you, am I, are we involved in service or servanthood? We already looked in Ephesians 6, 6. Service appeals to men. With a view to men, how you are viewed, how you were understood. And it's important, regardless of our role and duty, whether as fathers, mothers, or uh, whatever our position in life, current place in life is that we don't think that just because we create the perception that we've got things in order, that our children are behaving, that our things are in line, if it's done on the basis of mere service rather than the brokenness of servanthood, it will likely cause grief down the road. As repairs of the breach, am I, are you? And you may say, well, Brother Ellis, you're not really being fair. We're not called to the ministry. We're not called to serve as shepherds, under shepherds. Dear ones, we are called to relate as the sheep of the Most High in our daily walk. May God, as we open ourselves to Him, may we understand that yes, He wants us to do that work He has called us to there where we are. It is important that as fathers, as mothers, as Christians, that we understand that we are not our own. We were bought with a price and that we find it a joy to serve Him. That we concede and, and perhaps let me say it this way, when there's problems, how do others perceive me to deal with it? When you as a father are facing something, how does your family, how does your children think dad is handling it? or mom, or sister, or brother. Do they know that it will be acknowledged as something that's greater than you or I? That we take it to the Lord in prayer. That we commit it to Him and by His grace, by His Spirit's leading, seek to to function 
and true servanthood. Emptied of self. It talked about that Christ was poured out. In the English it uses the word poured out. In the Spanish it uses a, a verb to say this. It means to empty himself out. And Am I empty this morning? It's a question I think we could all ask in all fairness. For God to have full access, full right to our lives, we need to be imitators of Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. See, I need to move along quite hurriedly. I want to draw a few examples from the scriptures and it'll have to be in a summary, but a few examples in the Gospels that stand out to me and, and make me ponder the comparison between serving and servanthood. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have the example given of the Good Samaritan there the, the priest and the Levite came by and I don't know if they would have said they were very busy, but they passed on by. We live in a day of, of hurriedness. Perhaps our method of dealing with it is to let somebody else know and hope they can take care of it. But the restorer of the breach, that which exposed that man, that which was threatening that man, was met by the Good Samaritan. That man couldn't do anything for that Good Samaritan. He didn't have anything to offer, but he responded in gratitude. Another thing that I think can, can catch us off guard sometimes, and we do well to count our blessings of our goodly heritage and the many things that we can rejoice in. But in Luke 18, there in verses 9 through 14, if you care to turn there, it's worth your while. It talks about the Pharisee. Um, he was praying. How was he praying? Does anybody know? Prayed thus with himself. What a futile activity. He prayed thus to himself. And yet... As a restorer of the breach, he was not equipped to understand how to go about it. Here it says, 
And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The repair of the breach is one that is abased, is humbled, is walks in humility. There's something very special that I see here. The publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He understood his wretchedness. He understood the fact that he was without hope. And that word he used in the in the Hebrew or in the Greek for merciful there is to conciliate or to make reconciliation for. In the Spanish it uses the form of the word that we would know as propitiation in English, but to that thought. And it was a something he was crying out, and he, he didn't just mumble it, he didn't whisper it under his breath, but he acknowledged it. And for you and I as God's people, may we emulate that understanding the publican had of his need. Many other areas we can compare what it takes to serve. I would just note, you know, many times in, in many areas, it's not what we do is not as important as the spirit in which we do it. What we do is not as important as the spirit in which we do it. Now, yes, there are some things that we shouldn't do, we could say. But you understand what I'm saying. Whatever it is, that we do it heartily as unto the Lord. One can do the same thing, and it can be done in humility or in pride. A gifted person may lend itself themselves to greatness, but not necessarily the kingdom classification of greatness. And so with all that God has given to each, may we come to, to treasure the privilege we have to commit ourselves voluntarily. When Christ emptied himself when he was poured out, that was done voluntarily. For you and I to truly enjoy the blessing of servanthood, we will likewise do the same. I've drawn a, a connection a couple of times here this morning already to the, the, the fact that as we can identify with what God has needed to do in my heart, what maybe is needed to do and what he has so graciously done be a better way of putting it. 
then it helps us to identify in helping others find restoration, reconciliation in their circumstances. I heard a story about a, a very unusual case of a couple that were in the upper echelon of society, and I'm not sure if they were over in Europe, I believe, somewhere. Wherever they were, they were highly educated, and they had a daughter that um, they received word that she had committed suicide. And they were so overwhelmed with this this thing they couldn't figure out how to wrap their arms around to 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 deal with it. They didn't tell anybody where they were, but they moved to a country to a part of Costa Rica there. They bought a little place and they started a little farm. This brother had learned to know, had had seen these folks at a auction, I believe it was, a cattle auction or something. Came to know them as dairymen, but it was quite obvious it was an odd, an odd connection. But later, this couple asked if they could come and visit this man's farm, his brother's farm. And they went to this farm, and they shared together, and they were there talking, and this brother said, not exactly quite sure how it came up, but he said, came a point, it was very odd, the, the wife began looking at the man and, and something was said about, I'm not sure, can, can, can we say it? Should it be said? We've never told anybody. But that was uh, years afterwards, it was the first time she told anybody what happened to their daughter. Why did they tell that there or to the, that couple, that dear couple? What made it possible for them to see that something good could come out of sharing that deep hurt? I believe it was because that couple had shared some failures in their own lives. Some things that God had done on their part. Yes, we are called to stand before God and give account of our preparedness to 
partake of the cup and of the bread. <clears throat> but can we understand the importance? Can we seek to grow in the importance of the understanding of our having it together is merely by the grace of God because of the blood of Christ and not that we are an accomplished person by any stretch of the imagination. I could give more illustrations and I apologize with your patience I need to draw it to a close. Maybe in conclusion, I'll just draw the illustration from the Gospel of Luke. The prodigal son. You know, when the prodigal came back, the elder son was very displeased. The elder son was there. He had been there. He had been serving. He had been working. And his attitude was, look, I've been doing it all. You've never gave me a fatted calf to make merry with my friends. But the prodigal came back and he says, he came from the point of when he left to give me. And he came to that element of servanthood when he said, make me thy servant. Make me thy servant. Last scripture, 1 Peter 5. There's something in here that's addressed to leaders, but it's something that we do so well to lay hold on. Addressed to servants in the family of God. I won't take the time to read it. Your patience has been great already. Verse 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The word clothed there, I think I may have used this here before. I'm not sure if others have, but I was impressed with that in understanding. The word clothed is to be, to have put on, as it were, a white apron. A covering of service. It is a fitting vesture for a repair of the breach. It is a fitting vesture for us as we examine ourselves before the hand of God. May God bless you and I together as we seek the face of God for His glory and by His grace.